Welcome to the podcast of the preaching ministry of LifePoint Church, led by Pastor Lane Harrison. We pray this ministry is a blessing for your life. For more information about LifePoint, please visit lifepointozark.com. For more information and resources from Pastor Lane, please visit mlaneharrison.com. Well, as you know, we are in a series entitled Joy. And we're walking through the book of the letter, rather, of Philippians. It's a book, but it's also a letter. And um, we just started last week. And so I'm looking forward to this series. And today I want to look at gospel fellowship, gospel fellowship, the potency of Christian community. Let me start with a question Do you remember the last time that you received a note of encouragement? You were, the last time you received a note of encouragement, it likely came through a message uh, platform now, but I, I mean, even if you can think back, you know, a, to the old days when like ink and paper like came together through handwriting and formed this miraculous thing called a handwritten note. Now, if you're under 40, you probably don't even know what that is. Paper? What's paper? Pen? I've never used one of those right? There's something about a note of encouragement that strengthens the heart, is there not? And someone sends something to you and speaks a word, maybe identifies uh, an aspect of you or something you said that was encouraging to them. I received one not long ago, a personal note, and, and it, it had, you know, some words of encouragement in uh, the note to me, and it, it meant so much to me. I, I just paper clipped it into the front of my Bible, and it's still there um, today and so th- these are the things that that bring shall I say a lift to the heart or strength to the heart well when we come to the letter of Philippians the whole letter of Philippians is written out of that understanding it is a relational note that's written for the strength and the encouragement of the people of God at Philippi so that their hearts would be strengthened in the gospel. And I want you to remember that as we walk through this series because it's so important to understand how the gospel was used in this setting to understand how God is using the gospel in our own setting. Let's go to the first chapter. I'm going to read verses 3 through 11 before we continue with the message. Paul writes... I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ." filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. May God bless the reading, the hearing, the understanding, and the obeying of his word today. 
You know, the letter of Philippians holds many commonalities with the other letters that Paul wrote to churches in the other other cities, but it's unique in this one way that it is far more personal than any of the other letters. Like, for instance, if you go and read Galatians, Galatians begins, the grace and peace of God to you that comes to us through the Lord Jesus Christ. What is wrong with you people? Literally, it does. That's how Paul starts. Okay, we've got all the nice stuff out of the way. Let's get to the heart of it. You know, he goes right at them because they have basically cast off the gospel. In Ephesians, he begins with this prayer of high exaltation. And and Paul labored in Ephesus uh, in some unique circumstances. And and the letter denotes that. And so he begins with this high exaltation that's laden with some of the weightiest of doctrinal spiritual truths about salvation. And one of the reasons that he does that is if you study his time in Ephesus, you learn that Ephesus was a culture littered with many different kinds of gods. And they were worshiping them all because they didn't want to miss any of them. And Paul was going, no, no, worship one. Worship the true God. Now, when you get to Colossians, he's confronting the challenge of being deceived by worldly philosophies and ideologies. And he does it through a prayer to them and he reminds them in the prayer of the truths of God that they've forgotten or forsaken. And he does that because Gnosticism most likely and other mystic ideas had transpired such that it had permeated into the church and there was more world in the church than church in the world. And so when we come to Philippians, this first prayer that he offers is representative of the relationship that he had with the Philippians. We see what's transpiring here. His instruction to them flows out of this relationship. And I mean, you read the book of Philippians, here's what you kind of begin to understand. It's kind of Paul, right? He goes, man, I love you guys. I love you. I love you. That's what he says. I mean, right here, you begin to see, he just talks about affection deeply in his heart that's from Christ. And, you know, it's almost, I mean, it can be a little unsettling. You're like, whoa, I'm getting uncomfortable. Nobody loves me this much, right? But that's what Paul is saying. I can't help but wonder if that's why the letter of Philippians is so densely packed with so many verses of encouragement. Now, if you grew up in the church, you you may resonate with what I am saying here. If you didn't grow up in the church, I just unlocked a world of gold for your heart. Philippians is laden with strength for the heart. Even in our passage today, verse 6, he says this, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will complete it upon the day of the Lord Jesus. We'll come back to that in a moment, but verse 21, verse 27, and verse 29 of chapter one are just some of the more popular verses that you often hear people cite or that people turn to for encouragement. Chapter two, verses five through 11, verses 12 and 13 are are verses that have held very strong moments of encouragement in Christians' lives. 
When you get to chapter three, we look at verse seven and verse eight through 11 or 12 through 14 that have become so strong of verses of encouragement for our faith. And then chapter four, maybe more than any other, where you look at verse four, verse six and seven, eight and nine, 11 through 13. I mean, right there, we've got one of the probably most misapplied verses of encouragement in all of Christianity. But nonetheless, it is still a verse of heart strength for us. As I do just a quick count of these verses, I'm looking, and this is subjective, I haven't done the objective research on it because, you know, one person finds one uh, verse more encouraging than the other and that kind of thing, but just the verses that I've said and mentioned here that have become so generally known in this way, 31 out of 104 total verses in this book are literally verses that people go, that's my favorite verse. I find the greatest strength from that verse alone. Why? It's indicative of the whole purpose of this letter. And it's distinctive of this letter. Because Paul's exhortation will demand the deepest trust in order for the Philippian church to remain faithful in the hardest of circumstances and even suffering that they will endure and that they have already endured. You see, this letter was written probably 10 to 12 years after Paul actually ministered in Philippi that we looked at last week in Acts chapter 16. And if you remember what we looked at in Acts chapter 16... They had great favor with the people. Uh, We met a woman named Lydia down by the river who believed and was baptized and her whole family was converted on that first day. And and then we saw that after a, a few days and maybe weeks of ministry in Philippi, Paul and Silas were thrown into prison uh, because of the whole encounter with the girl who was demon possessed. And, and, and because of that, uh, We saw that God, in their prayer and their praise singing in prison, God shook the foundations of the earth and the doors of the prison blew open. And because the Philippian jailer thought they had all escaped, was going to thrust himself onto his sword and take his own life because of the dishonor it would have brought upon him to have that happen on his watch. But rather, Paul said, no, 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 don't do that, and ended up bringing him to faith in Christ. I mean, just... Crazy, crazy things, but these are not abnormal. We see these, that this is the way God works, and this is what was transpiring in Philippi. But, but when Paul got out of prison, it wasn't like everything's okay now. We've seen some incredible things. The city leaders didn't say, oh, please stay. No, rather they said, please get out of here. You're preaching the gospel is causing a great disruption in our city, and so they threw them out of the city. 10, 12 years later, he's writing back. Where is Paul writing from? Well, most scholars believe he's writing from prison because he's been beat repeatedly for preaching the gospel. He's been, uh, uh, in every way, created a false allegations against him because they just didn't like what he was saying. But the Philippians had stayed near him the whole time. That's why he was so deeply in love with this church. The Philippians were champion joy as as the Christian's greatest strength and, and, and that it was sufficient to remain faithful in all circumstances. And when you say all circumstances in regards to Philippians, it's not like there was a couple of days with rain. You know what I'm saying? 
like the harshest and hardest of circumstances that we could imagine were present. But it's the greatest strength and sufficient to remain faithful so that all of life can glorify Jesus Christ. You know, it causes us to ask, what kind of relationship holds the kind of trust necessary to endure these kind of hard circumstances? I mean, really, what what kind of relationship is it that can actually last through the hardest of challenges against it? And that's what this message is about today, the potency of Christian fellowship. Because what we're going to see Paul direct our eyes to is that it is Christian fellowship that defines the relationship that is sufficient to strengthen your heart to endure through any and all circumstances. Christian fellowship is the relational network that sources God's power to conform each person to Jesus' likeness to unite and lead a people in serving his mission so that the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel, can go forth to every corner of the world. What I want you to understand today when you walk away is this. Christian fellowship cultivates the gospel in community to champion the fullness of God's redeeming power and how potent we will see it Today, over the last several weeks, we've been championing as a church the value of community and reconnecting, if you will. Why? Because this is the way we validate ourselves? No. No, quite the opposite. Because of our conviction about what God does in Christian community. That's why. And the essential nature of it for every Christian's life. And so I want to pose a question for you to ask of yourself. What is the value of Christian community for your life? I don't mean just showing up on Sundays, but I mean showing up with the church so that you can share in something, the gospel with them. So there's a participation aspect. There's a shared aspect in this that we're going to look at. And the reason I ask you to ask of yourself, what is the value of Christian community for my life? How much do I participate? How much do I depend upon it in my own life? Because this is the very question that Paul is answering and posing to each one of us in this passage today. I want us to look at three aspects that Paul points out. Three aspects of Christian fellowship that make community essential for every Christ follower. That make community essential for every Christ follower. The first aspect we see is the gospel partnership in serving God's mission. Look at verse 4 and 5. He said, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the very first day until now. You see, Paul says that he thanked God with joy in every remembrance of them, always in every prayer of mine for you all, with joy. That's what he said. You see, the reason for his joy in his thanksgiving was because of their partnership in the gospel. That word for partnership there is the Greek word koinonia. And from that word, we get the word fellowship in the Christian 
church. And the reason that word is so important is because koinonia is a word that means to share in. It's the word we use together. It is the means of our being, participating, sharing together in this commonality. And that's what Paul is talking about. There is a sharedness in the gospel and what God is doing, not only in them, but first and foremost, through them. Now, let me just say this. I'm not prioritizing these three aspects this morning. I'm just simply presenting them to you in the way that Paul presents them in the letter. And I wouldn't put one above the others. As a matter of fact, I don't think you really have one without the others. So if you want to prioritize them, it's yes. Yes, they're all a priority. That's what Paul is teaching to us. He gives an important correlation, though, between thanksgiving and joy that reveals our dependence upon it. And I want to point this out to you because he says, I thank God and with every prayer I make it with joy. There's a correlation there that needs to be pointed out. You see, the more that one gives thanks to God for all that he has done for us, the stronger our joy in Jesus will be. The more that we uh, neglect to give thanks to God, the more that we neglect to acknowledge him as the giver of every good and perfect gift of our life, the more greed just continually and subversively takes hold within us to choke out our joy and ultimately remove thanksgiving and turn it into disgruntlement or entitlement. So that's why Paul says, I thank God because when I look at you, I recognize you are a gift to me from God. And the work that has been done through you is not just because of you, but it's because of what God is doing in you. And that's what he's, he's pressing upon here and he's teaching us about the relationship. When we can look at everything in our life and look to God and go, thank you. Our joy flows out of that because we're fueling it from that gratitude. When we look at everything in our life and we look anywhere other than God, we will find joy to be weak and failing because we've not looked to the true source of life. You see, fellowship in the gospel provides an unlimited opportunity to grow our joy in Jesus Christ by giving thanks to God for all things and in all things. Paul also goes on to make sure, though, that the reason for this is given, and it's because of his partnership. This is not a contractual partnership. That's the way we understand so many partnerships today. We enter into contract with one another. Each of us has shared responsibilities, and we're hoping that through those, that there will be some common benefit from that, right? And as long as you hold your end of the bargain up, I'll hold my end of the bargain up. Now, we know this. Salvation in Jesus Christ is not that way. The only thing that you bring to your own salvation that's necessary is the sin before God. Everything else God provides. Do you hear what I did there? That means you bring nothing but need. He brings everything. And what Paul is is arguing here is that this relationship in the same way that we serve the salvation that we've received is not contractual, but rather it's transformational. Their relationship was built on them sharing together in God's redeeming work by the gospel. And that was the foundation of their relationship. And I'm sure he said, man, that moment that Lydia said, I'm ready. 
And she got her whole family up and said, we're going to get baptized today. And then we're going to start meeting as a church in our home tonight. And that's where we met. He said, from that moment, I realized God was doing a powerful work of transformation. And our partnership began. They were not connected because of commonality. Oh, we've got common goals in life. I think this is going to work out. We, we've got common uh, similar affinities or likenesses. I think I can get along with you. You people look like me. You people act like me. You people think like me. You believe like me. These are not the things that bound them together. That is not a relationship like a gospel partnership. But when the gospel is the unifying center of a relationship... When every aspect of that relationship grows and matures and multiplies gratitude because Jesus Christ is at the center of it and joy flows out of it. That is the relationship that deepens your love for God and extends its impact and its reach for the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what Paul's talking about. And he says that the more that they shared together. The more they participated in serving to share God's love by the gospel with other people, the stronger and the more deeply God's love was shared among them in every part of their life. You want to know what serving in the church is going to do for you? There's your answer. It's going to deepen the one you're serving together with other people in your own heart. We'll get there in a minute, though. I'm getting ahead of myself. Participation with the Philippians in God's redemptive mission strengthened Paul's conviction of God's faithfulness to complete his work in them. And his conviction that he shared was one of the most potent promises for Christians. And I'll get there in just a moment. Because it just hit me that I totally forgot something. But I couldn't think of a better illustration for me to use at this moment than this. I'm pausing because we're going to have to cut the video when we prepare it for online. But I want to introduce Mr. A to you this morning. Mr. A, would you come up? I was supposed to do this interview before I started the message. I thought you were doing it on purpose. It fits better here, if I'm honest with you. Does it not? That's good. This is Mr. A. And let me tell you this. Please don't take any pictures. Don't post anything on social media. And don't take this, any visual identification of this interview outside of this service. And I'm dead serious about that. Uh, Due to security measures, Mr. A and his family serve in an unnamed country in the Middle East. We've been partners with them uh, since 2000, about 2011, I think. They were in our church for three years from 2009 to 2011 when they served with crew on the campus of MSU or SMSU, whatever it was back in the day. And then the Lord called them out from among us. They served in a country in the Far East. Uh, um, take it from there and tell us a little bit about where God called you and kind of what transpired there and what has taken place. Yeah. Um, so my wife and I each, even before we met, had long felt called to, to work with unreached people and specifically with Muslims. So we went to a country in, the, in East Asia and worked with a Muslim uh, minority group for seven years. 
but unfortunately, the political situation there became um, non, I mean, we just couldn't live there anymore. The, the government forced us out along with every other, uh, all the missionaries, even other foreigners who weren't missionaries. Uh, so we came back to the States and we were a little lost as to what to do. And when, while we were in Asia, we had, we had opened a CrossFit gym and that was kind of our means of having a, a residence permit, being in the community, meeting people, making relationships. And we found that that was a, a great way to, to form those relationships and share the gospel. Because as we, as we ministered to people in the physical area of their life and improving their health and making better lifestyle choices, we found that it's connected to their emotional lives and their spiritual lives. And there was great opportunity to, to share truth with them and build that trust with them. So when we were looking for what's next and asking God to show us, we had an opportunity to do a similar thing in the Middle East with another CrossFit gym that was already there. Um, and so that's what took us to this country where we are now. We've been there for three and a half years. And we're working with, through the gym, with kind of the, the upper level of society, the people who can afford a $180 a month uh, gym membership at a CrossFit gym. And then we al we've also had an opportunity to work with refugees from the countries around our country that are experiencing a lot of turmoil and war and all kinds of things. Uh, so we're also working with kind of the bottom of society. So it's this interesting sort of dynamic of the spectrum that we're working with. I want to highlight what you've said to make sure that people understand. So you use a legitimate business that is, uh, well, in your original country, but even now as you're working at that as a coach, you use a legitimate business. So you work throughout the week and, um, and, and in that though, it, that strategy provides a platform for you to build relationships with people, for you to be able to share your faith and share the gospel with them in countries that otherwise you couldn't just go out and do that openly and freely, right? Yeah, that's right. I mean, these are countries you can't be there. At, you can't have a, a permission to live there as a missionary. And if you try to be there just as a tourist or something like that, it raises a lot of questions. People don't understand, you know, who are you? What are you doing? It raises a lot of suspicion. Um, so yeah, I, I have this sort of job at the gym. Um, which I don't receive a salary from uh, because we get it through crew. But, it's, uh, but from the outside, at least, it looks, uh, looks legitimate. It's understandable to the people there. That's good. And so when you left us in 2011, you, you were married. You'd only been married a year, year and a half, maybe at that point. Not long. Um, and you had no kids. Now you have two kids, a six-year-old and a three-year-old. Tell us a little bit about your family, what you can share with us. And then we want to pray for you. Yeah, I still, uh, still have just one wife. That's something you kind of have to specify in that part of the world. Uh, and two kids. Uh, we have a six-year-old boy and a three-year-old girl. Uh, the girl just turned three, and she is just full of fire and sass, and she's a handful. But I'm praying that she's getting it out of her system now, and she's going to be just a perfect teenager. She's perfecting be, it. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, we're incredibly blessed. We have a great community there. It's, it's obviously much smaller, but of of other believers that we meet with and we, um, we get to have this kind of fellowship and worship together and grow in the Lord. Um, so yeah, we're very thankful and we're very thankful for your partnership with us in order for us to be there because uh, we, I mean, we really, we couldn't do it without you. So thank you. 
It's a blessing for us to have you here because I know y'all, when you do come home to the States, you want to spend time with family, and, and, but taking time to come and share with us is a help for us. And I'm praying that your testimony with us today strengthens our understanding, not only of what you're doing, but also of our partnership and how the Lord is using us to send the gospel, but also deepening in us to remain committed to and deeply surrendered to the gospel, even here among us. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you so much for this time. Lord, I pray for, uh, for Mr. A and for his wife and for his family. And Lord, I just ask that you would bless them. I pray, God, that you would give them security and provision in the place where you have led them. But most of all, God, we pray for favor with people and for the furtherance of the gospel. Lord, we know that you have called them there. You were working there and led them to yourself. But we pray that you will strengthen them for the work, that their time with us will be a strength for them, and that their time with us will be a strength for us too. As we see in your word the value of partnership in the gospel, this sharing participation together. How thankful we are for the high privilege and the great opportunity that you provide for us in this way. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, I think this works better, man. We'll probably do it this way next service too. (laughs) Depending on what I remember then. Uh, So I use that to illustrate this first aspect of gospel partnership in serving God's mission. But but let let me point this out, that Paul said this, because of our partnership, because of our partnership and the relationship it's formed, I am sure of this. Look at verse six, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Paul says this, the partnership that we've shared has deepened a conviction about the faith that we're sharing and what it's doing in us. Let me ask you this question. What are you this sure of about God in your life? Anything? Is there anything about your understanding of God, of your salvation in him that you would say, I am sure of this. And and that word for sure is not just a flippant cliche, but it's a bedrock certainty in the things of God. So, like, there's no question about it. Listen, the Bible says this, that every word of God proves true, that his word is sufficient to accomplish his work, and that his word will accomplish the very purpose for which he sent it out. That's the self-testimony of the Bible about itself. And so I ask of you, of all that you know about God, what are you absolutely confident without question, not even a hint of speculation and doubt over about God? Have you ever thought about that? Because when we think about what God's word teaches and what God calls us to, to not trust his word means this, either you don't believe it, you don't like it, or you don't care enough about it to worry about what it promises to you. So before you entertain another lie, a doubt, a question, or speculation about God, I want to encourage you to ask yourself this morning, who said so? Who said so? Because I know what God's word says about itself. 
And if you want to say something counter to what it says about itself, at least bring some proof for me to give consideration. Until that time, and very likely after that time, I'll not even entertain it. You see, we value keeping an open mind to the extent that we just let all kind of spiritual sewage pour in so often from the lies and the deceit of the world. There are things about which you not only need to believe, but also you need to stop allowing question. You need to stop allowing speculation over these. Why? Because asking the same questions about matters that God's word has settled is rebellion against God. It's not a matter of searching for the truth. It's a matter of denial of the truth. That's why Paul says in all of his letters, in Galatians, he says, stand firm then and do not let yourself be yoked to unbelief. That's why he says in Colossians, guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. In Ephesians, he says, gird up your loins. I don't even know what loins are. Got to look that one up every time. Actually, he's saying this, tighten your belt and stop letting your pants fall down. You're not taking care of business if you don't. In Peter, he says, prepare your mind for action. There are all ways for them to tell us to stop entertaining the lies and the half-truths about what God has already said in his word and therefore settled in eternity. It won't ever be different. It won't change because God does not change. Christians, we are commanded to hold with absolute certainty, with bedrock conviction about all God's word says, not because we understand it, not because we agree with it, not because we have exercised empirical methodology upon it and, and, and we have found by observation and, and conclusion that it in some way proves true within our confines of when we can actually observe it. But as Hebrews 11 says, by faith, by faith, He said it, we believe it. That's it. That's it. What Paul says, and and listen, I know some of you are thinking this, so you're telling me there's nothing about God's word you're not sure of. I didn't say that. I didn't say that. I have plenty of questions about God's word. As a matter of fact, the more I study God's word, the more questions come to my mind and heart. But it's all a matter of seeking the truth by revelation in the way God has given to us. Not questioning whether it's true or not. And then it's also understanding what's filling my heart to cause me to question what God's trying to put in my heart. So each day, ask yourself, what do you know of God that you would say, I am sure of this. Paul says, God will bring to perfection. That's what complete means. God will bring to perfection what he started in you. What did he start? He started by bringing you from death to life, by transforming you and sanctifying you from brokenness and sin to holiness in Christ. 
That's what he began. And Paul's faith said, Paul said his faith was strengthened because of his participation with the Philippians. And he said, I'm never more confident of this. And I know it's true because God's word says it. But I'm going to tell you what, I know it more deeply because I have seen it among you. That's the value of Christian community. Participation in God's redeeming work produces the same strength of faith about God's promises. You know, our joy gets weak sometimes, does it not? It gets weak because our faith falters and our faith falters because our fellowship with the body is so often dormant or absent. But friends, what Paul is telling us is that the fellowship that you share, the partnership in the gospel anchors your faith in God with a bedrock confidence in his word. And out of that, as you give him all praise and glory, joy springs forth from your gratitude. That's what he's showing us here. There's no doubt one of the biggest reasons Christians experience little lasting hope, only faltering joy, and a weakened faith in God is because of a little participation in serving God's mission alongside other Christ followers. Listen, when your heart is tethered to those who are in the midst of suffering and hardship or under much more severe situations in their living, it will keep you more mindful, not only of the blessing of the freedoms you have, which I think we could all use a little more help on that, but also of the sufficiency of God in every circumstance. That's the first aspect of why Christian community is so important for every Christ follower. You know, in community group, we talk about centering it on the gospel. The gospel is not just what we talk about, but the message of the gospel is our mission. It's how we talk about everything that we do talk about. That's what it means to be centered on the gospel. And that's what Paul is pressing upon us to consider in the value of this partnership for us. Well, there's a second aspect that he goes on to identify, and it's this, that gospel community cultivates a faithful witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Gospel community cultivates a faithful witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 7. It is right for me to feel this way about you all. I know I'm making you uncomfortable by telling you how much I love you, but this is right. This is right. That's what he's saying. Because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment, imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. So, so look at this. He moves from partnership to shared partaking that there is this cultivating of what's transpiring. And here's another element of what it means to share life together, the very essence of Christian fellowship. And what we learn is the reason that the Philippians serve the gospel together is because together they were being served by the gospel among them. In other words, they were in the midst of God's redemptive work as they shared the gospel among their community. And because of that, partnering with those who were taking the gospel in ways that they individually could not do but they could participate in became so important to them. You see, the faithful witness of the Philippian church was only effective in going out Because the work of the gospel was strongly established within. Friends, Christian community is where communion with God and unity with his people come together as one. 
They, they don't just face each other. They literally come together as one. We are strengthened in what we learn of God by faithful gospel doctrine among ourselves that we are growing in in order to stand firm in the faith in the midst of the hard situations and the hard circumstances that we each face. And when hard times come, we, we stand together in our defense because we are together in our confirmation. And when you see the gospel changing hearts, when you see the gospel taking root in people's lives, this week I'm, I'm speaking to a person and they're telling me about how I just, I know this to be true because God's word said it, but man, I'm learning because he's putting it deeper in me. That that's the partaking of God's grace together. That's the value of sharing testimony and understanding what, what God is doing among you because you begin to realize, oh my goodness, I've kept that out. Or oh my goodness, that's what God's been doing in me too. That's communion with God and unity among his people. And the work that only God can do to resurrect us from sin-stained death and bring us to the glorious life of his newness and new creation. That's the power of the gospel. And Paul and the Philippians were together in every circumstance because that's how God had grown them as they shared together in his grace. How powerful this is. Some of you are familiar with the reality series alone. Have you seen this? They take 10 or 12 people, they drop them off in forsaken parts of the world and leave them as bait for vicious beasts to feast on them. That's literally what they do. And man, when you get there, they are all like, they are jacked. They are ready. And, and, and when they get out there, they, take, they can take like 10 tools that they pick with them. So, you know, they've got some, some line to catch some food or to catch some fish. And they've got a knife and an axe and a saw and all these things. So, man, they get to building a, a shelter. You know, shelter, fire, and food or water and food. Those are the top three priorities. And so, because they've got a lot of energy because they're eating well just before they go out. They start building a shelter and, oh, they're whittling away and they're creating a craft structure. And they're talking about all the great things that they can do. I'm going to be here forever. I can't wait how I'm going to spend all this money that I win when I'm out here forever. And, oh, man, I, I do this at home. See, I learned this at home. And they're showing the little craft that they've learned and talking about how they learned it at home. And they've got a shop in their backyard where their kids go out to play with them. And their wife spends time as my family that's literally you can watch the nosedive transpire the first season just watch the first episode they always set it up this way the one that's most confident is the one that's going to fall by the end of the episode the first the first season the guy's out there like I'm not scared of anything I'll take on everything and he's got this black trash bag tarp he sets up and a lion or a bear comes out and growls outside the tent he's pushing the button man I'm out of here I am not this is not worth it literally it's a psychological thriller that's what this reality series is all about because the people who tap out most are the people who can't stand themselves that's I mean they can't stand being alone and while in the Christian life alone may happen for a time in certain situations, it's never intended to be the Christian reality. 
And though grace from God is individually applied in justification and salvation, it's designed by God to be a shared experience, partakers of God's grace together. That's why Paul is overflowing with love for them. They shared God's grace through his teaching, through the powerful life conversions that they saw transpire among them. And even in the midst of harsh suffering, they saw God's faithfulness carrying them. They stood with them in the defense of the gospel when it got hard and heavy because they had shared with him in the confirmation of the gospel. They were in it in the good days and they weren't silent when it got hard. They were faithful in their support in every circumstance. When Paul got ridiculed, they stood with him. When he got arrested, they supported him. When he was tried, they did not abandon him. Paul was strengthened by the Philippians in his work and in his suffering because he shared in their gospel work that had taken place among them. You see, when Paul writes this letter to them 10 to 12 years after he had been with them, he's back in prison. But you know who had continued to stand with him and support him? The Philippians. He couldn't overlook that. You've been with me from the very beginning all the way until now. That's because our partnership is built on our partaking of the gospel together. When you came into the doors today, into the worship room, you saw above there more Jesus. It's, it's a way for us to capture Uh, an idea of the shared partaking of the gospel. Our desire is to see more Jesus in every Christian that is a part of our church as he's transforming our life more and more into his image. Our desire is to see more people to come to saving faith in Christ and, and become Christians and begin to walk with us by following him by faith. Our desire is to see more people come to faith at every far corner of the earth as Christ makes us as a church more like him he sends more people out to share who he is friends God's work that flows from the fellowship of his people always flows out of the work he's doing among his people gospel community cultivates a faithful witness to the gospel because we're sharing in the grace of God Together, The third aspect is that gospel love abounds for the transformation of each one into righteousness. Look at verse 8. God is my witness, he says, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent so be pure, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness. You see, Paul's not praying that they would attain to something that's not yet true of them, but rather that they would come into the knowledge of their salvation, the knowledge of truth, that God's word would so dominate and fill and consume their minds and hearts that they would see in every aspect of their life what God is doing. So the knowledge would give them discernment And that discernment would help, as Paul says to the Romans church in chapter 12, verse 2, so that you can discern what is good, what is right, and what is holy and pleasing to God. That's the discernment. And he's saying you're not striving after something you don't have so that you can in some way impress or please God. You're living out of the one who is filling you. 
pure, blameless, and righteous, we never attain to that on our own. But the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that we don't have to. The righteousness of Jesus Christ is put up on us when the stain of sin is washed away from us. That's salvation, friends. That's what it's all about. And the transforming, transforming work of the gospel is this very aspect. Warren Wiersbe says that the heart and the mind work together so that we have discerning love and loving discernment. I love the way that he puts that. The more God's love abounds and the greater that the transformation by the gospel takes hold, each one learns to discern and to walk in the light of God's truth as the psalmist saith, so it can light our path, but it can become a lamp for each step as well. That's what it means. And as we are partners together in the gospel and shared partakers together, we see this love abounding more and more, making us ever more into the likeness of Jesus Christ as his righteousness takes hold. You know, sometimes we think about living in love and sometimes, it, or not sometimes, often it's, it's easy to make that just not much more than a feeling. So if we live in love, everything ought to be good. Everything ought to be right, right? But that's the exact opposite of what Paul is really saying because there wasn't much from an outsider's perspective going right about Paul. He was moving from one prison to the next. But the Philippians said that's exactly where God's got him. He's tracking on the path that God has put him on and we are with him. Why? Because they knew the message and they understood the love of God. Living in God's true love is often far more difficult and challenging than we often admit. It can feel tenacious and hard until it comes to full fruition. I mean, after all, it was God's love that got Paul attacked by an angry mob. It was the love of God that got Paul thrown in prison. It was the love of God that got him beat and wrongly accused and run out of town one time after the other after the other. I don't think any of that felt like what we typically think of love feeling like. And yet it was all because of the greatest love of all. And Paul says, I pray, be careful now, that that kind of love abounds in you more and more to define your whole life in every way. You see, when growth and maturity comes in a Christian's life, then we begin to know the true value and the power of love. The only true love that makes one righteous is the love of Jesus Christ who willingly gave up his life and laid it down that he might give life to us. Christian fellowship cultivates the gospel in community to champion the fullness of his redeeming power. Let's pray.